Bible with us this morning for the reading of God's Word. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. This is part 2 of Tis the Season, and today is Tis the Season to Wonder. Somebody say wonder. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. You can also follow along on version. Follow the outline with us online this morning. If you do not have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to follow on the screen. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. If you're like me and you like to take notes in your Bibles, you can underline it, write it down. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, I thank you that we have moments like this to dive into your word and learn more about you through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, over the next few minutes, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead me and guide me. Help me to speak every single word that you need to say to our lives so that we can be better followers and better believers of your son, Jesus. Let us realize the, the awesome and powerful and wonderful story that the Christmas story truly is. Let us wonder again. Let us be amazed again at who you are. You are so good and we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you notice on the video, the definition of the word wonder is a feeling of surprise mixed with admiration caused by something beautiful Unexpected, unfamiliar, inexplicable. You know, there's an article out there about becoming a, a better preacher and a better communicator of the Word of God, and it's something that I strive to do my very best on. I'm definitely nowhere near or close to where I, I know I need to be, so forgive me. I'm trying my very best. But it says one of the things you need to do is become possessed with the message of life, the message of hope. Become possessed with the message of God's Word, and that's what it is. It's the message of hope. It's the message of love. It's the message of forgiveness, the message of redemption, the message of mercy, joy, goodness, and grace. And my prayer for us at the Avenue Church is that we become possessed with the message of life through Jesus Christ. Amen? The message for us today is, tis the season to wonder. Again, wonder. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, inexplicable. You know, for a lot of people, the Christmas story has lost its wonder. We've seen so much of it. We know how everything turns out. 
It's lost its wonder to some people. There's no surprise element. There's no wonder. But I've got news for you today. Somebody say, give it to me, young man. It is the Christmas story that is full of wonder. I got two amens. It is full of wonder. I'm about to tell you how. How can you explain God becoming man? When I read the story, I'm filled with wonder. Imagine living in in the Old Testament. How God would speak to people through bushes. How God would speak to people through animals. I mean, imagine living in the Old Testament. God will speak through the voice of men and through the voice of women. They knew what it's like to hear from God. They knew what it was like when God was talking to them. But at the close of the Old Testament, God goes quiet and says nothing for 400 years. Can you imagine going your whole life and never knowing what it's like to hear from God? Any parents here today? (laughs) Help me, Lord. And you know what it's like to be in your house and the kids are upstairs or downstairs or across the house and it's loud and you're thinking, oh my goodness, can they just chill out? They're screaming. The walls are shaking. The floors are bouncing and somebody just got thrown up against the wall and you heard giggles and laughs and I'm telling my I'm telling daddy, you did it first and I hate you. You know, you've been there, right? You're like, oh, they're just being kids. But it's when it gets quiet. You pause and go, something ain't right. (laughs) And you get up and say, I better go check and see what they broke or what they're getting into next. You see, when God was quiet, he was up to something big. When your kids are quiet, you know they're up to something. And when God went quiet for 400 years, he was up to something, something big. He spoke the word and the word became flesh. We read that in John one, it says the word became flesh and he took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. It's at the nativity that God was about to speak again. Wow. If that doesn't inspire wonder, you need to get a gut check. It's a beautiful thing. You know what else is a beautiful thing? Snow globes. I love snow globes. These are my personal snow globes right here. This one sits on my desk. This one sits on our kitchen table. I think this one's in the bathroom somewhere. And I don't really know where this one goes, but I found it. I like it. Snow globes are cool. I don't know. Some of you are thinking, you're weird. You know what? That's my thing. I love snow globes. I love love snow globes. It's a really cool thing. You know, you shake them up and all it starts snowing everywhere. And usually a lot of them have the. I know it's it's a beautiful thing. But I never want you to look at a snow globe the same again after today, because your life is kind of like a snow globe. When things start to settle, it's at that point that it all gets shaken up and turned upside down. You see, it's in these moments that it's like, okay, life is crazy, but we start to worry when things start settling down because we as people, as human nature go, something's about to happen. Something's about to get shook up. Has anybody ever had their life all shook up and turned upside down? (laughs) Yeah. Right when, right when we think everything is settled, that's when it all gets shaken up. It's then we realize that we desire to have peace. You see, peace is not the the absence of problems. It's the presence of Christ. What happens 
when your dream becomes a nightmare. You see, two things after this message that I want you to recognize is I want you to see your life inside a snow globe. And I want you to see how Joseph's life panned out. A character that does not get talked about much. We know that he was Jesus' baby daddy, right? We know all that, right? We know that he was the father of Jesus. And we don't really talk about Joseph that much. And I want you to see how he responds to life when his snow globe gets turned upside down. Joseph's globe was shaken. Let's look at what the Bible says about Joseph, the almost forgotten character, in the greatest moment in the history of the world. You see, Joseph's character, he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. The Bible doesn't mention a lot about him, but what is mentioned about him is very powerful. He was a walk-the-walk kind of guy. He not just a talk-the-talk person. If he told you something, you could take it to the bank. One label on him would be this. Joseph was a man of commitment. He knew how to make a commitment. Here's the key thing. He knew how to keep it. You see, we know how to make a lot of commitments, but we don't know how to keep them. Hello? See, the first thing that he was committed to was he was committed to God. He was just a man. He lived with integrity. He lived with honor. He was upright before the Lord and he kept the law. He worshiped God. He loved God and therefore he was committed to his love for God. Nothing was going to come in between his commitment with him and God. Secondly, he was committed to Mary. He was committed to marry Mary. They were going to get married and they were going to be married. He was committed to Mary. In the text that I read to you this morning, it's imperative that you take note of the two times the Bible talks about Joseph's commitment to Mary, his fiance, in the way of keeping her pure. Two times it says that he was engaged to her and that he does not engage in premarital sex with her. Every man in this place needs to hear about keeping a commitment like this. Can I get an amen? Wait until you're married. He loved Mary enough to wait. He didn't want to defile her. He wanted to make sure he didn't break her vow to God because he couldn't keep his lust under control. Two times the Bible says that it was after she had given birth and after they were married before they came together. He was committed to keeping her pure and his life pure. He was committed to being a man of commitment. And in these few short verses... Everything seems to unravel. Well, what are you talking about? He became the father of Jesus. He thought everything was good. He had his life planned out. He had become successful. He had started his own business, probably going to be great in the furniture business and really in in commercialism. And his financial life is set. He's found his wife. And he was going to live happily ever after. But rarely is life a fantasy and everything is just happily ever after. Because life has its way of getting involved in your happily ever after. (laughs) Hello? And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Even though he had it all planned out, in these short verses, his old life has been shook up. And the only thing that is certain in Joseph's life now is that his life will never be the same. The only thing he is now sure of is that his life will never be the same. His commitments haven't paid off. His commitments to God haven't paid off. His commitments to Mary haven't paid off. Has there ever been a time in your life that it seems like every commitment that you have ever made has not paid off for you? You commit your life to people and they turn around and hurt you. You commit your life to marriage and the other person says they don't want to be in it anymore. You commit your life to God and in the moment that you need God, you can't find Him. 
He's gone quiet. Have you ever been in a place where your commitments haven't paid off? If you have, then you understand what Joseph is going through at this moment. His commitments aren't paying off. What's your reaction when your globe, when your world is shaken? When your world starts spinning out of control, what's your reaction? Joseph had three things he could have done. Joseph's choices are revealed, and when it all boils down to it, the bottom line, Joseph had three choices. Number one, he had this, the feel-good response. He could have publicly humiliated Mary. He could have been enraged. He could have lost his temper. He could have gotten Mary by the hair of her head and dragged her out into the street. He could have brought the elders of the city to look upon her. He could have brought her out into the streets accusing her and not keeping her vows, accusing her of defiling her own body, accusing her of lying to him and accusing her of breaking her covenant with God. Joseph could have put her to death. He could have embarrassed her. I can imagine Joseph going around saying, you know, you won't believe what Mary did to me. She cheated on me. She showed up today and told me that she was pregnant. And guess what? She said, God's the father. You see, that doesn't sound crazy to us because we know the story. But put yourself in his shoes. You're trying to tell me that you're pregnant and God's the daddy? Go tell that to the judge. Go tell that to my daddy. You expect me to believe that. See, it's easy for us to see now. We know the end. But I want you to see it as Joseph is seeing it. And put yourself in his sandals. For a moment. Your fiance shows up. I'm pregnant, honey. You're not the daddy. It's God. Excuse me? He could have made a spectacle out of her. He could have ruined her name. This is the feel-good response. You know what the feel-good response is when someone's done you wrong and you can't wait to get in front of a group of people and tell them how you've been done wrong. How nasty that person is. How big of a lying, cheating, stealing, low down, good for nothing, dirty, scum of the earth that person really is. It's the feel good response. They hurt you so you can't wait to destroy them, destroy their name, destroy their character, and destroy their reputation. They hurt you so it's only fair for you to hurt them in return. If anybody has ever told you that vengeance doesn't feel good, (laughs) hasn't tried it. Now don't be too churchy on me here. You know I'm telling the truth. It's called the feel-good response. I'm going to be honest with you. Getting back at someone, you smile extra big on the way home that day. Woo, honey. I am good today. Nobody will ever trust them again. Nobody will ever look at them again. They'll never be anybody again. I've destroyed them real good. They must not have known who they were messing with. Somebody should have told them. You'll think twice before you mess with me again. Come on, it's the feel-good response. Now, let me just be honest. I'm not a drinker. Unless you're talking about sweet tea, then I'm guilty. But people say that when you're drunk, it's a feeling of ecstasy. It's a carefree feeling. You've got no cares in the world, man. It's all good, right? Life is a party. But then when the next morning comes, the hangover wasn't worth the party. That's the way vengeance works. Feels good in the moment, but after you do it, you feel dirty. You feel nasty. You feel hurt. You realize that you've done more damage to yourself than what you could have ever done to that person. Vengeance feels good for the moment, but just wait until the next day when you see how you've destroyed that person's life. 
It's the feel-good response. Joseph had that choice. He also had another choice. It's called the painful response. He can divorce her quietly and just walk away from from her, leaving her to raise the child in shame and in poverty. Mary, I'm just going to walk away. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to make a scene out of this. I'm going to live my life and make it the best that I can. You go live your life and make it the best that you can. I call this the painful response because Joseph loved Mary. Joseph was ready to do life with Mary. They were getting ready to go into happily ever after mode. He loved her. He didn't want to be away from her. He was looking forward to life with her. I know I'll get married one day, but you go ahead and do your thing, Mary. And you'll get married one day and have a family. We just need to go our own way. This is called the painful response. But there was a third option. He can marry her and raise the child as if he were his own. The lapsed option would really have been chosen by a Jewish man. This is called the unthinkable response. You want me to marry her and live with her as if this is my child. And raise the child as if it's my own. I'm a proud Jewish man. This is not going to happen. This is the unthinkable response. So here Joseph is with three doors. Door number one, the feel-good response. Number two, the painful response. And number three, the unthinkable response. But this is what I want us to see today. No decision is a good decision. So many of us think that if we just trust God enough, then one of these decisions will get easier. Well, I've got news for you today. There's going to be moments in your life that no matter what door you may choose, it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be unthinkable. And you're not going to want to walk through it. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He had to make a decision and he knew it wasn't going to be easy. So what do you do when you're presented with three options and none of them are good? What do you do in life? Can I give you the answer? You listen to God. Because no matter what door God takes you through, he will take you through it and bring you out safely on the other side. Can I get an amen? Don't go around choosing your own door. Wait on God. To Joseph, none of these choices seemed appealing, but he had to choose one of them. Often life presents us with choices that are less than appealing to our human nature. Our duty in those times is to listen to the voice of God and seek to do that one thing that he wants us to do in that situation. Remember all that was going on around him. One thing I admired about Joseph is that we don't get a knee-jerk reaction out of him. He doesn't make a decision quickly. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't just blow up. He doesn't get angry and drag her out into the streets. Joseph doesn't lose his cool. Second Timothy 4, 5 says, but you keep your head in all situations. Man, don't lose your cool, church. It's not worth you losing control over. It's not worth you having a breakdown. Don't lose your head. Don't lose it over a situation that you really don't have control over to begin with. Wait on God. Matthew 119 in this text says, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Wow. Decided to divorce her secretly. He already made up his mind. See, he resists the urge to allow vengeance to overtake his life. Can I be honest with you today? 
If some of you don't change, this Christmas is not going to be good for you. Because for some of you, you are so eaten up and overwhelmed with vengeance over that what somebody did to you. Do I have the liberty to say like it is this morning? Can I have the liberty to do that? Allow me to speak some truth into your life today. Has somebody shaken up your life and you've got to, mm, you just, you just got to bite your teeth? And the worst part is that it's those people that show up at your house. I'm just being honest with you today. Most of the time it's your family. You know what I'm talking about this morning. Here they come walking through the door and you're actually praying to God for them to choke on Christmas dinner. I would never do that, Pastor Justin. You can come anytime. These altars are open. Oh, let them say something to me. Let them say something to me. I will smack them so hard that they will wake up in 2014. You're willing to waste a whole Christmas season being overwhelmed by vengeance. Joseph didn't let that control his life. He said, I'm going to wait on God. How do you respond when people shake your globe? I'm going to ask you three questions that I'm going to answer them. And hopefully by the end of the service, you will come to the right conclusion. Number one, when does it get hard to hear from God? When does it get hard to hear from God? When things are shaking is the answer. Has anybody ever been in an earthquake? Show of hands. I'm not talking about a Tennessee earthquake. <laughs> a real one, like one of those. You know, people say that you ask somebody if you've ever been in an earthquake, and when you ask them to describe the sound, there's really no description for it, but there was a lot of shaking. Everything was shaking. When things in your life are shaking, church, you can't hear instructions. You can't hear voices. And I have found that when people's lives begin to shake, they begin to run to the shelves to try and keep things from falling. And no matter how much you try, the more you try to hold things up, the more things fall off. That's what some of you are doing in your life right now. Your life is shaking all around you and you're running as hard as you can to try and hold everything up and hold everything together, running so hard to fix everything, trying to hold the marriage together and trying to hold the family together and trying to hold the finances together, trying to hold your life together. And no matter how hard you try, there seems to be more that's falling on the other side. And just when you get a hand on one thing, something else seems to go wrong. Can I give you a little bit of wisdom? The best time to get alone with God is at the time of deep disappointment, a time of hurt, or a time of shaking. If things are shaking in your life, that's the moment you need to get alone with God. Notice what happens to Joseph. He goes home and he goes to sleep. You're trying to tell me that your whole world is being shaken up and you're going to go to bed? No, I need to stay up and worry myself sick. Because that's progressive. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph was not able to get an answer from God until he learned to rest in God. His answer came when he learned to let it all go and he rested. He was only able to hear God when he rested. If it's going to shake 
then let it shake. I'm just going to rest in the fact that God is in control. And when he went to sleep, an angel of the Lord showed up and said, do not be afraid. This is for somebody here today. You're running so hard to try and fix everything, trying to hold it all together. And God is saying, stop running and learn to rest. You see, Joseph is going to raise Jesus. He's going to have an influence on Jesus. And I love that Jesus learned something and picked something up from his earthly father. Because there was going to be a time in Jesus' life that he's going to be out in the middle of the water and a storm is going to, going to hit. And where do you find Jesus? In the back. Asleep. He knows that there's no point in worrying when the world is shaking all around. Church, when your life is being shaken upside down, there's no need to worry. Worrying isn't going to get you anywhere. You might as well rest. Hear me this morning. One of the greatest acts of faith that you will ever exercise is making the decision to rest and not worry. I'm not going to worry in my life. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to rest and I'm going to wait on the Lord. So number two, when does it get hard to follow God? Here's the answer. When you're not sure where he's going. I'm about to give you the secret on how I became so close to the Lord throughout the past 10 10 years of my life. You may want to write it down. I worked for my father-in-law and had to ride with him just about every day of my life for 10 years. And he is possibly the scariest person in the world to ride with. So I was prayed up every single day and I was ready to go. I'm not kidding. He used to be a cop. And he would whip that car around. You think you were going to slide into the building next door thinking, oh, dear God, help us. I constantly had to remind him that I have kids and his, my kids were his grandchildren. So, you know. You ever follow someone in a car? That can be the worst sometimes. And if you ever had to follow my father-in-law in a car, the last sane moment that you ever have with that moment is he would say, just follow me because I know where I'm going. You see, it's hard to follow someone when you don't know where they're going. It's real hard to follow God when you don't know where he's going. But God, I don't know the destination. And and God says, I know that's what faith is. Follow me. The worst decision you can make is to not even leave the parking lot. Or God say, follow me. And we have this genius response of saying, okay, but I know a better way. Oh, we're real good at this one. Yeah, I know, God, you told me. To follow you through this trial. I know that you told me to follow you through this storm. But I know a way around it. So what I'll do is I'll take control of the problem myself. And I'll get us there quicker. And God says, what are you going to do? You don't even know where you're going. Did you know that when Joseph went to sleep. And the angel came to him that he was given an option. Let me show you the power of decision. Joseph could have woken up for the dream and said, I know God. That you told me to do this. But I think I know a better way. What if Joseph did the painful thing? Put her away and just divorced her. Or what if Joseph did the feel good thing and had her put to death? 
Don't ever put yourself in a position to abort the promise of God. Well, Pastor Justin, do you really think that God would have allowed Mary to be put to death? No, I don't think so. I believe that God would have intervened. But do you realize that with one decision, Joseph could have gone from the father of God to the enemy of God? With one decision, he could have become the father of God or the enemy of God. During times of shaking in your life, when your world is being turned upside down, you are one decision away. One decision away from following God or fighting God. When is it hard to follow God when you don't know where he's going? And lastly today, number three, when does it get hard to trust God? The answer is this, when you realize that God may be the one doing the shaking. When is it hard to trust God? When does it get hard to trust God? When you realize that God may be the one doing the shaking. When we read the story of the nativity, it wasn't Mary who started it or Joseph, it was God. When you realize that God may be the one doing the shaking, you realize that, you know what, maybe I need to chill have you ever realized that, that people may not have caused your mess? You may not have caused your mess. You need to realize that maybe God is the one doing this. I've committed myself to you, God. I've followed you. I've done everything you've asked to me. When does it get hard to follow God? When you realize that it may be him, he may be the one doing the shaking in your life. Why would God do such the thing? He shakes us to move us from mundane to meaning and to break us out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. Joseph had it all planned out, how everything was supposed to go, and then God steps in and starts shaking up his ordinary life. Some of you need a good shaking this morning. you become so boring. you become so ordinary. you become so typical, so complacent, living without purpose, living without power, living without meaning, and the mundane is actually comfortable to you. I've just come by to let somebody know that God has got to shake you up. You are not created to be normal. You are not created to just fit in. You are not created to serve with no purpose. You are not created with no meaning. God has a plan for you and it's going to be wild and it's going to be great. Joseph, you're not going to just be a carpenter. You're not going to be just a successful person. No, you're going to be the father of God. God will use Joseph to train Jesus. You've got to understand, we don't hear that much about Jesus while he was growing up. But God had to have someone who he could trust to raise him in the way he should go, provide for him and take care of him. Joseph, you're going to take care of Emmanuel. Joseph, he was a carpenter. And now he'll train the creator. Wow. Can you imagine the trust God must have had with Joseph to be the teacher of his son? You see, you don't get into opportunities like that living an ordinary life. 
Oh, but I've got news for somebody today. If your life is being shaken, then maybe God has a bigger purpose for you than you ever dreamed of yourself. Maybe God's moving you into a place of meaning. Maybe God's going to do something extraordinary. He's going to do the unusual in your life. He's going to make you supernatural. He's about to take you on the ride of your life. If God is shaking up your life, you ought to thank God. If God is shaking your life, you might as well give God praise today. You ought to thank God for the big thing that he's about to entrust you with. God's about to rock your world. A carpenter. Now he'll train the creator. You see, I believe everyone is born with a purpose. Amen? There are some of you that if you're not careful... And if you don't learn to trust in the Lord, you are about to abort God's promises for your life. I'm telling you, don't miss what I just said to you. If you're not careful, and if you don't learn to trust in the Lord, you are about to abort God's promises for your life. Don't make the wrong decision in your time of shaking things and decisions, or maybe God himself is turning your whole world upside down, spinning you out of control. And now everything you could count on, everything dependable has been turned into liquid water under your feet. Chaos. Maybe God is shaking you because he has a bigger purpose and a better plan for you. But God, you're not shaking that person like you're shaking me. Well, not every Joseph got shook like that Joseph got shook. And not every Joseph got to raise the Savior of the world. Filled with wonder that God would entrust a simple man, a carpenter, to raise Jesus. Just maybe your shaking is an indicator of how God is going to use you to affect people around you, to affect your family and to affect this world, you ought to be thanking God. Especially if He's the one doing the shaking. That He's got you in the palm of His hand. If anybody's going to shake my life, I want it to be God. If my life has just become boring, if my life has become meaningless, And I've become so complacent. I need God to come and just turn my world upside down and give me a good shaking. Shake me out from the mundane to meaning and break me out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. I don't want to live an average life. I want to wonderfully be wonderfully blessed and highly favored. God, do something so great in my life that causes me to wonder, be surprised, inexplicable, unexplainable, and extraordinary. Anytime there is going to be a great shaking in your life, it's going to come before great advancement. Go through Christmas different this year. Instead of going through it complaining and with vengeance on your mind, go through it with wonder. Yeah, my life is being shaken. I wonder what God is up to. My life is being turned upside down. I wonder how God is going to use me. If he's trusting me with this battle, if he's trusting me with this storm, I wonder what he's going to do in my life once we come out of the storm.
How many lives are going to be changed? It's time to wonder again, church. Will you stand with me this morning? Tis the season to wonder.